This week, the Committee on Small Business held a hearing about the EMV fraud liability shift and the impact it is expected to have on small businesses. According to research conducted by the committee, fewer than 49% of small businesses in the U.S. are aware of the liability shift. Ironically, no small businesses were represented at the hearing, but this week's hearing appears to be the first in a series of hearings aimed at exploring the impact of the EMV migration on U.S. businesses and consumers to be held within the next several weeks. Douglas Cantor, a partner in the Washington office of law firm Steptoe & Johnson, where he is a member of the Government Affairs and Public Policy Practice and lead counsel for the National Association of Convenience Stores, says retail organizations are working overtime to educate merchants about the EMV migration. Here, Cantor explains the steps the C-Store industry and other retail groups are taking to help merchants and discusses why smaller businesses, especially independent businesses, are likely to face the highest hurdles for EMV adoption. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. So, Doug, the National Association of Convenience Stores, better known as NACS, includes many small business members. In fact, more than 70% of the C-Store industry comprises companies that operate 10 or fewer stores, and 63% of them operate a single store. How is the EMV migration impacting the C-Store industry? Well, it's putting a major financial and operational burden on them. The costs of migrating to EMV, according to NAC studies, is about $26,000 per store, or $3.9 billion just for this industry alone. The National Retail Federation says it's about $30 billion for merchants overall. To put that in context, $26,000 a store, that's often more than half the annual profits of that store. It's a huge, huge investment to switch to EMV. And if you don't do it, it's going to cost you money because the card net or Visa and MasterCard are going to push more and more fraud liability onto you. This industry already takes up the majority of fraud that happens at their stores and holds those costs but it could be even higher than that. So that's a threat people really worry about, and it's a very difficult process to try to get converted over to EMP. So let's talk a little bit about the process, Doug. Why has it been so challenging for smaller businesses to make the conversion to EMV? Well, you need not only to buy expensive hardware for your store to read the EMV card transactions, but importantly, you need that hardware to be programmed the right way. And because every business in the United States that takes cards is being pushed into this transition all at the same time, what happens? Everybody who can do that software programming is busy doing that for someone. Small businesses are at the end of some very long lists trying to get the programming help they need, and then they're at the end of some very long lists trying to get the major card networks, and all four of them, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover, all require that they come in and certify your system before you can get it up and running. So as you can imagine, small businesses with less transaction than their bigger counterparts they're waiting in long lines, and they're having a lot of trouble finding the equipment, finding the programming, finding the certification, having the expertise to try to make this transition that others are making at the same time. Yes, I'm glad you brought up the certification point, Doug, because this is an interesting one. So the way I understand it, Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and Amex all have different certification requirements for EMV. Is that correct? That's correct. 
And then is it challenging to find the right people who can certify EMV for these merchants? I'm assuming that you would have to go through some type of certification process, whether it be PCI or maybe you have to go through the card brands themselves. You have to go to the card brands themselves, and there just aren't enough people doing it to reach all the different businesses that are trying to make this transition, and that's a major problem. A number of merchants have told the networks over time that their timeline for converting the United States wasn't realistic. And what they did was try to convert the largest card market in the world, the U.S. card market, in the shortest period of time that they've done this transition anywhere in the world. It isn't too complicated to look at that and say, there could be problems here. And in fact, there have been those problems with the long wait times, with a lot of confusion, with a lot of frustration and people abandoning the process partway through in order to try to just focus on doing business and figuring they can come back to it later because it's not working right now. So let's go back to the hearing that took place this week. Is the purpose of this hearing then to help give small businesses a voice? Uh, Well, you have to talk to the committee about what the purpose of the hearing was, but I think that one of the things we saw, which I was very glad to see, was that the members on the committee, the members of Congress, were very concerned about small businesses and appropriately gave Visa a hard time about what was happening and how it was happening and the fact that communications to businesses, particularly small businesses, had not been good on this and that, frankly, lots of the things that Visa is doing in making this transition don't make any sense. So, Doug, would you agree with the House Committee's findings that fewer than 49% of small businesses are aware of the EMV fraud liability shift? I'm not sure what the exact number is. There are plenty of small businesses that are either not aware or have a very high degree of confusion. And more of the folks I talk to have the high degree of confusion than the complete lack of awareness about it. They don't know often exactly who's imposing the liability shift, what it means, is it a regulator or is it a private entity, which in fact it's Visa and MasterCard, and they often don't know exactly what they need to do to comply or what the implications are for their business. For businesses that have little or no fraud, like your doctor's office, for example, people aren't going to use a fake card there. They already have all your information and your health insurance and everything else. Why should they even be aware of it? Maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but they shouldn't be investing huge amounts of money to avoid fraud that doesn't happen. There are other places somewhat like that where fraud doesn't occur, and then there are places where lots of fraud does occur where they need to do a very different calculation about what the fraud risk is and and what type of security they ought to put in. But more than anything else, all these businesses, especially those who are working on it and are aware of it, are very frustrated by the fact that while there's this move to EMV, it's a move to the chip technology without PIN numbers. Where they've made this transition elsewhere, they've paired EMV with the use of PIN numbers so that those transactions can be protected and you get good fraud protection. 
we don't actually know if moving to EMV is going to be effective at reducing fraud because they're doing it differently here than they've done it elsewhere. Yes, it's an excellent point that you, you make, Doug. And again, that whole conversation about chip and signature versus chip and pen has been one that banking institutions and merchants have been having for the last 12 to 16 months. You know, going back to the hearing itself, do you anticipate that there will be more hearings that look at some of these issues surrounding small businesses and perhaps in the future we could actually hear from some small businesses? Yes, thankfully. Uh, Chairman Shabbat at the hearing yesterday said there would be at least one more hearing. I don't know if they plan more beyond that. But he did say at the next hearing, there would be merchants on the panel who could talk about the conversion in the situation from their perspective. And I'm confident that some of those will be small businesses who are facing these issues. And then I think we'll get a much fuller view of the extent of the problems and the real logistical hurdles that these businesses face to try to do this. So as I mentioned earlier in the interview, Doug, NACS really does represent a lot of these independent small businesses that we're talking about. And so for NACS, I could see where this is a very concerning issue. What needs to be done? Who should be responsible for educating these small merchants about the EMV shift? Well, first and foremost, the networks who are imposing this liability shift need to explain it better. And then the acquirers of processors who deal directly with merchants need to explain it better. And certainly, some responsibility needs to fall on associations and others who represent them. We're having, for example, an educational session at the NACS trade show that's coming up next week to talk to NACS members about it. More of all of those things need to happen. But frankly, what the network should be doing is actually putting something in place that improves security. The conversation and the explanation would be so much easier if what was being explained made sense. When something that's being explained and it doesn't make sense, people have trouble absorbing it. Do you think that a lot of these smaller merchants even need to make the shift to EMV? I think it depends on their individual business, but the quick answer is no, some of them really don't. Again, the doctor's office. I was talking to someone recently who runs a car wash, and he was asking me, well, how can I do it? I'm having so much trouble getting the equipment and doing all these things, and it's so expensive. And I talked it through with him, and I said, do you have fraud at your car wash? And the answer was no. Nobody's committing fraud to get their car washed. People usually commit fraud by buying things they can monetize, gift cards, things like that. But they weren't going to the car wash. And so I told them, look, don't do it. If you don't have fraud, there's no reason to spend a bunch of money to avoid fraud. And so there are businesses like that that are at low risk or very low risk, and they shouldn't have to worry about this. Again, other businesses that have more fraud, they really need to look at this more closely. And then, Doug, before we close, are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with our audience? I think the final thought is that this hearing really did expose hypocrisy in a number of ways. One was that Congresswoman Velasquez asked a very perceptive question. She said, look, you justify the fees you charge merchants up front based on the idea that there's fraud that needs to be covered here. You're then making them spend a bunch of money to get rid of the fraud, or at least to reduce it. If it's effective reducing the fraud, will the upfront fees, swipe fees, go down? Visa would not answer that question, although it certainly sounded like the answer was no, based on what they said. Then Congressman Takai said, wait a minute, do you let a merchant require a pin if they want to? What if they really are invested in avoiding fraud and they want to require a pin? And the answer to that is no. 
Visa doesn't allow merchants to do that on debit transactions because they want as many of those transactions as possible. They don't want the debit networks that compete with them getting any of those transactions through the use of PIN. So what we're seeing more and more through this shift, and certainly it was exposed well by the members of the committee at the hearing, is that this shift isn't about security. This shift for Visa and MasterCard is about padding their profits and locking in more business for themselves. And that's too bad. Well, Doug, I'd like to thank you again for your time today. Very informative. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Again, we've just heard from Doug Cantor, lead counsel for the National Association of Convenience Stores. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.